Welcome back to another segment of Looking Unto Jesus. In our last session, we uh, read a very, very beautiful quote from Isaac Ambrose, and we're back again with another quote from Isaac Ambrose in Looking Unto Jesus, um, page 75. Um, before we get started, I would just like to say that the reason why I'm doing this is to draw attention, to always draw attention, especially to, for the young believer, to understand that we grow in conformity to Christ. We grow in devotion to Christ by seeing more and more of Christ. You know, the Bible is full of commands, and we should love them. The Bible is full of, of precepts and, and great declarations and propositions. And, and all of those are so important and so precious, never, never despise, not even one jot or tittle of Scripture. As the old saints used to say, even the, the dust of this book is gold. But always remember the main purpose of this book. It is to show us Christ. Because in Christ we have the greatest display of the person, the glory, the beauty, the excellencies of God. And um, the authors that I choose to read to you, yes, we will cover many, many themes, but we will always track ourselves back to the, to the main thing, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, I remember years ago, a young man walked up to me after I preached, and he said, you're right, Brother Paul. Uh, Jesus is all we, all we need. And I said, uh, yes, Jesus is all we need, but also Jesus is all we have. You and I would have no part with God apart from him. He is the key. He is life. And my great desire above everything else is that you come to know him savingly and then you go on to know him in greater and greater increments. And remember what I always say, um, eternal life, John 17, is, is knowing him. And that knowing him starts the moment, the moment of your salvation, but it doesn't stop the moment you step over into glory. No, he's far too big for that. He's infinite in everything that is wonderful. And so throughout all of eternity, we will be, as the old theologians used to say, uh, as Martin Lloyd-Jones loved to say, we will be tracking him, tracking him. And we'll never exhaust him. We'll never come to an end of all his glory. And that, what, that is the very thing that makes eternal life eternal life. Now, Isaac Ambrose, he writes this. A right beholding of Christ in his eternal workings will cause a desire of Christ above all desires. The heart now thirsts for nothing but him that is all, all power, all love, all holiness, all happiness. Tell such a soul of the world, gold and glory. Oh, but what are these? The soul will quickly tell you the world is dung and glory is dung. 
All is but loss and dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Philippians 3.8 Give me God in Christ, saith the soul, or I die. O oh, my desires are to him who hath done all this for me. A right beholding of Christ. And, and where do we find that right beholding? In the scriptures. You know, when I'm out witnessing, I, I can talk to people about Jesus, but I have to be very, very careful because there is there is a Jesus out there by. Well, many different things are called Jesus that are not Jesus. And then there's in Christianity an undefined Christ. But we have to know Jesus as he is defined in the scriptures as he is explained in the scriptures, a right beholding of him in his love, most certainly, but also in his holiness, in his mercy, definitely glorious mercy, but but also his his righteousness. In his power to save, yes, his power to save, but also his authority to judge. There is a world out here that will accept many different kinds of of Christ's. But we must give them and we must behold the Christ that is defined in the scriptures. That's the only true Christ, not a Christ according to some carnal desire, not a Christ according to a certain flavor of culture, but a biblical Christ. He says, a right beholding of Christ in his eternal workings. Now, what does he mean? Our salvation began before the foundation of the world. Yes, it is an extensive plan. Christ dying on the cross is not God's plan B after the failure of Adam. But before even the world was created, it was determined that Christ would die and that in that death, in that saving work, there would be attributes of God that were made known and not just made known, but harmonized with the other attributes of God so that we would have the most full picture of who God truly is, a holy God and yet a God who will who will commune with the sinner a righteous God, yet one that has mercy. But all of it can only be seen together in perfect harmony when it is seen in the light of Calvary, where God demonstrated his mercy, but also demonstrated his wrath, where he demonstrated his love, and at the same time, his righteousness and his holiness. You see, I love to study the teachings of Jesus and I, and I want to obey, obey those teachings. But here's what you need to understand. I am not saved by my ability to keep his teachings. As a matter of fact, I'm not saved by my ability at all. And neither are you. We're saved by this perfect, redemptive work of Christ on Calvary. And so when he says a right beholding of Christ in his eternal workings, you and I, If we really want to know God, yes, we must study the full counsel of Scripture. But if we really want to know him, we need to we need to focus in on the focus of Scripture, the culmination of the revelation of God. And that is the person of Jesus Christ and that cross where he died for sinners. 
So a right beholding of Christ in his eternal workings will cause a desire for Christ above all desires. If I had to lay down one reason, why do I love him? It is because I know from experience, yes, but more importantly, I know from Scripture what I am. I know what I am. I know what I was. He died for that. He died for a wretch like me. And my desire for him, the thing that that compels the Christian, that compelled the Apostle Paul, was the love of God manifested in the cross of Christ, in his workings, in what he did for us. And that's why he is the Christian's desire above all other desires. We know who God is. We know what we were. And we know what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. And it goes on. The heart now thirsts for nothing but him. That is all. All power, all love, all holiness, all happiness. You may be a new Christian and you may say, you know, I believe that. But it, it's not a reality in my life. Well, it should be a greater reality in all of our lives, including older men like me. But young Christian, listen, I can, I can assure you of something. If you will be diligent to seek for Christ in his word and prayer, if you will make that the goal of your life, then, then I can tell you this. He will become your desire. Greater and greater reality that he is your desire. He goes on and he says, a soul that has caught a glimpse of Christ, that has, has observed him biblically, tells such a soul of the world, gold, glory, what are these? What are they? They're nothing. Now, if I didn't have Christ, of course, they would be magnificent things. But in light of the biblical revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Let me say this as reverently as possible. Even all the beauty of heaven pales and is nothing in comparison to Christ. And without Christ, there is no heaven. Yes, to some men, the world and gold and glory mean everything. And, and I don't judge them or mock them or accuse them. What I want is for them to see Christ. I can tell them all day that their, their desires and their pursuits are foolishness. That the world and gold and glory mean nothing. I can tell them that all day, but it's not going to turn their neck. It's not going to cause them to look for something else. But to show them Christ through the scriptures and with the power of the Holy Spirit working they will begin to see what many of us now see. And that is that the world, gold and glory, what are these? The soul will quickly tell you the world is dung. Now, I know that that's not a very pleasant term, but it is appropriate. The world is dung. And glory 
is done. All is but lost and done for the excellencies of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now notice it doesn't say the excellencies of blessings he can give me, the excellencies of how he can fix my life, or even though those are good things, it's the excellency of just being able to behold him. Um, for many years, I lived out in an old cabin up on top of a, a rather large hill in the middle of the woods, and there was one break in the forest where, where uh, the sun would come up. And certain mornings, there, there, was, there was no gold on this planet that could buy that vision. It was worth more than, than all the jewels, all the fame, just to sit out on that old uh, balcony overlooking that hill and see that sun come up. The beauty was breathtaking. Well, that's nothing. That's nothing but a drop of paint off the brush of my Lord. It's not, I serve him because, you know, he's done all these things. He's, you could say, I serve him because he fixed my marriage. I serve him because he, he blessed my children. I serve him because he's, he's helped me in some way or another. Yes, all those things are good. But here's the real thing. You're missing the point. Just to be able to see him as he is. His excellencies, his his holiness, his, his righteousness, his grace. Amazing grace. You know, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's Christ, Christ. The old, the old guys were often found saying, Christ is heaven. He is heaven. Now, goes on and he goes, give me God and Christ, saith the soul, or I die. Oh, my desires are to him who hath done all this for me. Think of two words, person and work. That's what we have here. The beauty of his person should be our desire, but the beauty of his person is revealed through his work. And what work is that? The cross. The cross. The cross. I hope that sometime we will get to looking at the cross as the epicenter of all revelation. The cross as the, the, the running of the curtain. If you want to see all the attributes of God, in perfect harmony. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this to, to the preachers. I, I wrote something here this so that I, I wouldn't forget it. Um, the more God's people explore and discover the excellencies of his person and work, the more they will love him. You see, um, God's people are not driven to conformity with a whip. They are shown the beauty of Christ. And if their hearts are regenerate, 
that beauty will draw out their affections and they will chase after Christ themselves. He goes, the more they will love him and be drawn to him in communion and discipleship. You know, sometimes people say you're so, you know, the statement is very common. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. The fact of the matter is, is most people are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. Those men and women who have seen much of Christ, yes, they're driven to prayer, devotion, private exercise of devotion, but all of them also are doers. They go out in his name to tell others primarily by proclamation, but also by deeds. It has been the love of Christ in the soul of many men and women that have brought transformation, whatever transformation there is, brought transformation and good to this world. Whether behind the pulpit or with pen in hand, this is the primary task of the expositor. It is for this reason he withdraws from the multitude and enters into his study to search the scriptures for the precious stones of the gospel. Your people don't need entertainment. They certainly don't need your your winsome quotes or your wonderful personality. Your people need Christ. And you should be giving yourself. So that every Wednesday or Sunday when you get in the pulpit, your purpose is to give them Christ. Speaking of the minister of Christ, I wrote, although he seeks to enrich his own heart, his greater passion is that God's people might see what he sees and be enthralled and constrained by it. I want to hear a man who has met with God in his scriptures that has seen so much of God that he's literally about to explode, that he doesn't have time for for trivial matters. He wants it's, it's, it's like the angel. He has taken some coal off the fire and he rushes with it to bring it to God's people. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, what's wrong with the church? Is usually found in the pulpit. And what's wrong in the pulpit is usually found in the preacher's study. He's not there. Or if he is there, he's not looking in the right direction on his knees in the scriptures to see more of Christ. Well, I hope this has been helpful and I hope it's a reminder to you that this is why some of us read very old books. God bless you.